Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello, everybody. I'm Morris Sardouin, co-host with John Marzalek for the podcast Queer Voices of the South, which is found under LGBTQ studies on the New Books Network, the largest book-focused podcast network in the world, which recently crossed the 3 million downloads per month threshold with listeners in every country in the world except one, North Korea. Welcome, John. Good to talk to you again. What's happening? Not much, Morris. I'm just glad to be here talking to you again as we get ready to the end of crazy year of 2021. Yeah, it's been a, a, an interesting year. Um, but for us, we are lucky that we get to do this, these books. Um, that kind of makes the, the year a little bit more um, – it feels a little bit more safe when you get reading interesting books and you have something to keep you – <laughs> to keep you sane, you know. That's exactly right. That's exactly yeah. right. So we're kind of lucky. I I like having uh, having this podcast. It's a great thing that we do for. I think um, I think hopefully for the listeners, but also for ourselves. And it definitely broadens me because I'm reading books I don't think I would have been exposed to because now I'm looking for books that are appropriate to our queer voices of the South audience. And uh, you know, we started this podcast in 2020. Um, mm-hmm. after both of our books came out from the University Press of Mississippi. And um, it was the beginning of the shutdown of the world. And so there was no, right. part, no no launch parties, no uh, readings in person, no no visits to bookstores to see our books on shelves and um, signing things in person. It was kind of a daunting thing to say, well, you know, you're on your own. You've got to make these books uh, move um, if you can. And um, here we are. We don't know when this is going to be over. So it was a weird weird way to launch books all of us in the world who launched books at that beginning and 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 since then it's still been kind of iffy to go out there and promote things in person so I, if i remember correctly that's why we got together we started talking and said hey we did yeah what How do you can remember we about ourselves that? yeah yeah, yeah. We started talking yeah about exactly our books were both in the same kind of genre and that they they focused on or were about and are from lgbtq people from the south so that's right that's <laughs> right why not and from a Southern press. So we just, we happen to be fortunate enough to have our books come out at the beginning of COVID. And, um, but I think it, it led to a, a great working relationship that we've developed over the past more than a year now. Oh yeah. It's been, I think 18 months. Um, I know wow, my, that's crazy. my book turns uh, two in April, this uh, 2022 yep. coming up. Yep. This is, Me too. this will be broadcast after the first of 2022. So uh, I don't think I've said happy new year to everybody. Happy new year, everybody. <laughs> we were in happy 2022. New year. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, um, uh, and, and I know that, uh, uh, when we look at books, what we look for are those components. Um, they need to be by or about LGBTQ plus people. Um, 
from the South or have uh, who are either from the South or, or writing about the South or both or and all of the above. Uh, and like we said earlier, it was a reason the impetus was that we wanted to make sure that other people like us uh, who, who found um, some some difficulty promoting these book kinds of books in normal times um, had a platform. And now we do have other platforms, but um, we thought, why not make a, a program for us? And we hit upon the New Books Network. I think you found it uh, for us. John, um, mm-hmm. by being interviewed for your book. Right, um, exactly. Yeah, and then you came back and we, we got together because of the University Press of Mississippi and started talking. Um, so <clears throat> uh, I know that um, some of the, the – oh, another component of, of this, and I think you mentioned it, uh, is uh, if it's a southern press, if one of the, one of the academic presses in the south, um, all these books, um, the part of the uh, network, uh, uh, if you look at the mission of the network, they're to trying to give exposure to nonfiction books and academic books. And not, they're not mm-hmm. all academic, but they're all uh, virtually all nonfiction. Um, I have one of the books uh, that I did this year that was a collection of short stories, um, but it was from an LGBTQ writer in the South. And um, it was fascinating. And we'll talk about that later. So, but most of the books are, are, are nonfiction. And um, so it's a, it's a great, uh, platform. So I'm glad people are here right now. Um, I, I want people to help us share, spread the word because 3 million downloads a month, they're not all from this one podcast. I know that's hard to believe. <laughs> that is hard to believe. I mean, we don't have 3 million people listening to us right now. No, I know. It's kind of upsetting, oh, but um, I, I, want us, yeah. I want us to help grow the network. Um, so um, let's well, start. And I I wanted to add something before we start, Morris, and that's, you know, we, you were talking about the books we include for our podcast, Queer Voices of the South. And I, I guess, as you know, I've branched out a little bit in the sense that I've included some books that weren't necessarily by authors from the South, but that had had themes that I thought were so universal, especially to queer people in the South, that it was it was so important to add them. And I'll talk about that as I talk about the books, but things like race and religion um, different themes that really just cut across the queer experience. Perfect. Yeah, I think that's happening. The more we we uh, reach um, uh, out with the, our our subject matter, we're going to cross all kinds of lines and um, broaden. But I, you know, so I I think that's our, our original uh, mission um, is is inc- was one of inclusion, no matter what. So um, mm-hmm. this is this is going to be uh, this is going to be a good. Uh, uh, new year coming up for us and look back that we've already been doing this for 18 months so we have a lot of episodes but we're going to talk about the ones we did in 2021 starting with one that you did in january tell us about yeah that. so i started off the year talking to jershon Avales. um he wonderful just wonderful author wrote a book called black queer freedom spaces of injury and paths of desire um published by university of illinois press and this was just a fascinating conversation because what he talks about is looking at how black queer people have been perceived in society as being threats and how they've also been subjected to threats of physical, psychological, and socioeconomic injury. And through all that, how they have demonstrated this great strength, especially he talks about queer artists, in finding ways to... Um, overcome these challenges. Um, one of the things, there's so many things in this book that were so fascinating to me, but one of the things that I thought was um, so interesting was he talked about this whole idea of um, 
of queer spaces um, and how queer people, when they move through public spaces, I should say, how they're often judged or usually judged in a way that's different from other people in society and how that um, how that affect the, affected the artists that he talks about in his books. Um, and he talks about people in um, prisons and hospitals and he talks about how society has gone out of the way, their way to control people in these different spaces. And a great example he talks about is at the time we were being we was, he was interviewing with me, he talked about a bathroom, an anti-trans bathroom law that had just been passed in North Carolina. Right. He said that's a perfect example of how people who are queer are expected to conform to whatever the space is in society, what people expect out of that space. And then the other example he gave that really stuck with me was how straight people can, you know, walk down the street, hold hands, maybe kiss each other, and people don't even bat an eyelash. But if a queer person does that, there can oftentimes be, um, you know, terrible things that happen because of people people being angry that the space is being, their space is being infringed on in some way. And that's the way they look at it. Yeah. Um, but wow. I guess I'll just say in closing about this book, I thought it was such an important book to include because he really gets to the experiences of black queer individuals and really taps into the strength that these artists in particular have shown in turning something that's been painful experiences, hardships into art that and, and really just shows the strength they have. Great. Um, you also did the second book of the year. And, which was February. So tell us about that one. Um, it was, yeah, it was, it was just, I interviewed him in February and then the book actually came out in um, beginning of March. And this was an interview I did with Francisco Galarte, Brown Transfigurations, Rethinking Race, Gender, and Sexuality in Chicanx and Latinx Studies. And I wanted to include um, this book because I wanted to, we I had a chance to talk to to um Jirishan about the black queer experience. I thought it'd be important also when I saw this book to talk about the queer um Chicanx and Latinx experience including especially for people who are transgender. And it was a fascinating discussion on intersectionality, you know, how being queer, transgender, um from a Latinx and Chicanx um community, how that all plays together and and um what he talked about was this whole idea that brown transgender narratives, as he called it, are frequently silenced and erased. And those are his words, that there are ways in which people try to push transgender people, and in this case, brown transgender people, push them to the side like they don't even exist. Right. Um, and what I liked about this book, I'll, I'll say in finishing, is that he also shares some of his own experiences in the interview. He talks about how his own experiences as a trans man impacted him in writing this book. And I thought that was just a fascinating discussion. Yeah, that sounds uh, does sound like a, a whole fascinating uh, piece of the, the bigger picture. There's a lot of, of sub genres within the LGBT community, and they're adding uh, we're adding new um, letters after that. Uh, kind of seems like every year because uh, um, there's a big old plus that comes up. A lot of people just do LGBT and then a plus, which means there are five or six other <laughs> letters after that. So right, yeah, right. so it's it's a a, a great look. Um, in March, um, I had a an interview with uh, Mary Ann Cherry for her book Morris Kite Humanist. Oh, 
yeah. Lib- liberationist, fabulist, fantabulous. Sorry, that's not that's a word that, <laughs> that looks like it's misspelled when your uh, the spell check checks it because that's not really a word. She made that word up. Fantabulous. Uh, it's called a story of gay rights and gay wrongs. On um, again, Marianne Cherry. That was by the uh, Process Media publisher. Um, this book. Um, th- uh, about this character, Morris Kite. I liked his him already because his name was the same as mine. Um, he is uh, n- was not. It's not always uh, uh, known um, his role, how important it was in the post Stonewall gay rights movement. Uh, he was very self-aggrandizing and, and egotistical, and, and and she wrote right that he, you know to be an, ego- an egotistical person in all these rooms of, of LGBT people. Uh, uh, full of egos uh he had to rise above all that he that's quite a feat and he did it he 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 clawed and scratched and got at the table so to speak in important Mm. places when that was just beginning um uh it was uh at, at the time when he came on the scene um it was a very uh sedate group um intellectuals people who were talking about civil rights um and the marginalization of this little fraction of society and, and how it um, it probably was going to stay that way unless something major happened. Well, one, one major happened. One major thing happened was Stonewall. Um, but also oh, right. there are a few other events that happened. But Morris Kite was was one of those people pulling strings and, and connecting people. Um, so he was it was a fascinating study, fascinating book. She did a beautiful job of making him um, funny. She calls him an e- egomaniacal person but she makes him realistic in that um i mean it it you you see why that was essential he had to be that um and to get things done um so i that's what i liked about that learning a character that you don't hear much about i always like exploring uh i I love biography and autobiography um and memoirs and and i think that um when you get to have a a good inside look at a person I had never heard of, um, and you know I'm not unique, I guess, but I'm not a, I'm just a universe of me. So maybe lots of people have heard of Morris Kite, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah. So I find it fascinating, uh, and that was what I did in March. I don't know. Did you have a a, a book out in a book uh, interview in March? I did, and um, I interviewed Derek Mason, um, who wrote Queer Anxieties of Young Adult Literature and Culture, and I found out about that book, and I, I know you did too, Morris, because um, it was also published by University Press in Mississippi, like our book. So I, oh, I felt like right. I was, I felt like I was interviewing a, um, um, I guess, a gay brother from University Press in Mississippi, and um, this was a really interesting book because what he's talking about is. Um, I never thought about this before, but the anxiety, the theme is the anxiety that runs through um, queer literature. And what's interesting is he, or queer um, young adult literature, he calls it YA, um, YA. He includes in literature, not only books, but he includes websites. There was actually a video game um, back in the, I have to remember now, 70s or 80s that he includes. Um, he includes um, the It Gets Better project is also queer literature. And the anxiety that runs through these different pieces of literature are, one, you know, several different things. But one that we're all familiar with is a coming out experience, yeah. um, and you know that that underlying anxiety of somebody coming out and realizing that they're that they're queer and then coming into society. Um, of course, he said he does it much better because he's the author. But he he ties in some um, analysis with psychoanalytic um, authors and. Um, talks about, which I thought was so interesting, the difference between books 
are literature that's that's for young adults and literature that's written about young adults and that there can actually be a difference sometimes. And that when somebody is reading a book who's an adult about a young adult, they can experience anxiety as they go back and look at their own experiences when they were young adults. Yeah. Um, it's just a really, really interesting book. And I, uh, I know like these first three books I'm talking about, I know I learned so much. And I think our listeners, if they haven't listened to them yet, will learn a lot too. Yeah, you're right. Absolutely. Um, I, I'm having the same experience. I'm learning so much. Um, every book is eye-opening. And even though you and I live through a lot of the things that these books talk about, um, I'm, I'm a bit older than you. So I've been around. I was a budding uh, young LGBT boy in the 70s um, mm-hmm. and when a lot of things were beginning to move. And so reading about these things and really learning to appreciate that so much work was done. Uh, before we came on the scene, before we benefited from all the things that the work that, that was done. So ex- examining these parts of the big puzzle um, is fascinating. I think that's what our podcast does very well is uh, in each of these books is a piece of that whole story. Uh, I hope so. And yeah. I think that's when we first started the podcast. That's what you and I talked about, wanting to be able to bring attention to these really important um, works of queer literature. Um because there's so much important stuff out there. Yeah, that's not been told. And so I love that we have a, a one-stop place on the New Books Network where you can you can spend hours um, in, in listening to our history. Um, that's right. And, that's our, right. and projections about our future in some of these books. <laughs> that's right, yeah. Um, there's one that's great that we did in April. Uh, did you do another one in, in, in March or can we move on to April? No, then we moved on to April. That's right. Yeah, you, you led a, a talk uh, on this book, Alternate Channels. Tell us about that. Did I lead it or did you lead it, Morris? I, well, I, that's we, funny. We, it's, it's, we, yeah, co- mind... we co-did it. Yeah, we co-did it. Yeah. Well, I, I was we, – we, we, you, you started the conversation and I was just part of it. But, um, okay, yeah, I, yeah. Yeah, he was a terrific uh, – That was uh, a subject. fun interview, wasn't it? Very, yeah. very fun, yeah. Um, so, the book is called Alternate Channels, Queer Images on 20th Century TV. And it's by um, – it's self-published Kepsudo Books and Translation Services by Stephen Kepsudo. Uh, find this book if you're out there listening. Um, it's fascinating. And um, what it does – I'll let you start, uh, John. What it does is, is really uh, put in context how television had a big role in rolling out uh, the LGBT plus um, future. Yeah, I mean it, it's exactly what – just like you're saying, Morris, you know, he goes through the history of um, queer images in television, you know, going back to the point, he even, he even touches on radio just a little bit, but, but mainly focusing on when TV first came out. And I have to tell you, and I, I think I said this during the interview, it took me back to my childhood when, you know, he covered shows like um, All in the Family. And I remember that episode where there's a, um, um, and I don't think I don't think they use the word transgender in those days. I think they use the word um, transvestite, actually, a transvestite yeah. friend of Archie Bunker who gets um, beaten up and murdered and how TV shows like that called attention to the fact that there are queer people out there and just the evolution of that going up to the you know future with things like Will and Grace and all these different shows. But I don't know if, if you like, like myself, Morris, if you just felt like it was like going through a history of your childhood and your adulthood, reading about these shows and the characters that were 
included uh, it, in it there. It absolutely was. It was very sweet to recall some of those. And I know that episode very well of uh, All in the Family. That character was called Beverly, and she had appeared Beverly, on a, yes. a few episodes yeah. uh, before um, it, the, the horrible end to her. Um, and um, I'm a kid at the time. Again, this is this is the seven mid seventies. I don't remember the year of that particular episode. Yeah, me too. But, but yeah. all in the family ran several years, um, and it was groundbreaking at uh, at the time. It, it literally um, brought a lot of subjects like that right into uh, our homes. And as a, a child uh, growing up, I was a preteen, I guess. Um, that not only resonated with me, I choked up. I was like, I, I, but I had to also go through these things. I'm, you know, why are you crying? That's not you. Um, no one said that in my family, but you know, you think that you have to be um, discreet about your emotions as a child growing up. And so these television shows, these things that he's covering in this book really, really, really bring that home. It's like we live through these things and they were baby steps, you think, and, but s- some bigger than others. But uh, so, yeah. And you know, I'll add just, um, for those who are, in, who are interested in learning more about this, I know that Stephen also has a um, Twitter account where he's he'll often post um, little tweets of the day about like on this day, this this queer character was on this TV show, and so it's a lot of fun to follow. Yeah. Um, well, that was a fun um, interview. Um, let's go on to May. What happened in May? Well, actually, before you go to May, I have to t- tell you about um, another interview I did in April called oh, Poor sorry. Queer Studies. No, no, no. It's a, we, we did a lot this year. More, yeah. We were busy. Yeah. Um, Poor Queer Studies, Confronting Elitism in the University by Matt Brim. Um, and that was published by, Duke, published by Duke University Press. And um, this in this book, um, Matt confronts the – um, I remember him talking about a pyramid, and he said, at the top of the pyramid are the students and the professors and the people at the most elite universities, the um, the universities that are the um, Ivy League schools, for instance. And then at the biggest part of the pyramid at the bottom, he said, you have most everybody else. And what he's talking about in this book is that he teaches queer studies at a I guess you call it a non-Ivy League school. And he says that the experiences of his students who are working class people, some poor people, you know, people who are non-traditional students, it's so different than the experiences of people at the Ivy League schools with all these resources and privilege. And that he's trying to call attention to this idea that queer studies is just not something that takes place at elite universities. It's, it's an important thing that takes place because he says it's brought, it's brought us so much important knowledge and literature, but that we're doing a disservice by not looking at the queer studies um, that are happening at these other places like College of Staten Island where he teaches. So it was a, it was a really fun conversation. Um, and yeah, and I, I remember that um, episode. Um, the the um, the whole point of of this pyramid is is, is fascinating to me because I, I I've always been interested in how um, classism and w- w- however you want to expand uh, or explain that word um, works in so many different contexts. Um, and it's kind right, of right. And, and and there's no way uh, there's no way to um, to deny it, you have to be to be aware of it. You uh, to to optimize your ability to move around in it. You need to be aware of it. You need to know that this is not this is bigger than just you one than just you. 
um, and no matter That's what right. you have to be. So bringing attention to these um, other schools, the non-Ivies, um, maybe they're just weeds, <laughs> but the um, <laughs> these uh, <laughs> other schools that teach, you know, so many schools teach. And, and I remember in the, when they, these uh, uh, programs, queer studies programs started happening, um, they not they're not they're, they haven't been around that long, but they started having I guess about in the seventies, maybe eighties. A lot of them came on online, um, but mm -hmm. the um, it was kind of it was kind of a, not subversive, but um, the only people who would uh, t take those courses were LGBTQ people themselves. It seems right, and now they, they right. broaden they broaden over, and so now it's a lot of people who are not who, who are not in those who don't belong in this group, but uh, do feel uh, curious and interesting, and that's what I love that that's happening that that's, that that the pyramid is is breaking down through these other programs around the uh, the world. Um, so yeah, well done. Um, and now we move on to May. That's right. Move on to May. Um, well, let's see. In May, I interviewed a good friend of mine and also a colleague, someone I've we've taught at the same university over time. Um, and it's called the Healing Otherness Handbook: Overcome the Trauma of Identity-Based Bullying and Find Power in Your Difference by Stacy Ryhetzer, Dr. Stacy Ryhetzer. Um, and it's published by New Harbinger. And Stacy or Dr. Stacy, as she goes by, is a transgender counselor educator. I'm a counselor educator myself and a psychotherapist. And she's a really, really dynamic person. Um, and she fit right into our podcast because she's originally from Texas. Um, and I think the whole idea of bullying and otherness just fit really fits into anyone, anyone who's queer. But this is a great book in calling attention to how People are people are bullied. They've experienced trauma because they're othered by people in society. Whether you're queer, whether you're somebody who has, um, let's say, autism, how people are othered and what it does to people, and how they hold this trauma inside. And what she does in this book really powerfully is gives the reader tools that they can use to try to um, flip the switch or change the narrative of the trauma that, it, that they've held on to in their lives because of um, the terrible things that have happened to people who are othered in our society. Yeah. Uh, that's fascinating. Um, and, and she, you, she is a colleague of yours for, uh, at what university? Well, I teach at Southern New Hampshire university and she was a colleague of mine for several years. She's, she's, um, she's moved on to another university now, but, um, she's, she's also a good friend and she's an amazing speaker. So she actually did a Ted talk. If any of the listeners are, um, interested you can google dr stacy ryhetzer and she does this really dynamic um ted talk you can watch cool um so that was may unless there's another book in may i didn't do one in may did you another one no no i think i think we i think we had done so many by this time morris i guess we both needed just a little bit of a summer break a, we a little, did. little bit anyway That's we, right. did. Yeah. we did i did one in june um but we, we did take a, we take a break so in june yeah. um tell us about what you did in june I interviewed Josephine Donovan, who wrote The Lexington Six, um, Lesbian and Gay Resistance in 1970s America. Um, and it was it's published by University of Massachusetts Press. And kind of like you were talking about with the book that you um, had focused on earlier, um, I think well, the last name was Cherry of the author. Uh, oh, yes. Yeah. Marianne Cherry. Yeah. yeah. I just learned so much from Joseph, Josephine Do Donovan. Um, she tells the story of a group of anti-war activists who staged a robbery at a bank in Massachusetts. And um, this was during the time of the um, you know, social unrest around Vietnam and 
people, um, you know, especially in college campuses, students fighting back and, you know, protesting everything that was going on. Well, when the bank was robbed, there were three men who were um, involved and two women also. These two women escaped Lexington, Kentucky, and hit out among um, hit out among basically a um, a group of lesbian activists. And what the book is about is about how the police and the attorney general and um, you know the law went after. Um, people in this community, this activist community, um, they went after the lesbians involved in this community and also a gay man um, beyond looking for the truth about where these women were. But they started going into private questions about their sexual orientation. Um, and the group called the Lexington Six, they resisted this and they were sent to jail because they refused to answer questions. They refused to participate in these efforts to um, – not look for the fugitives, but to um, do some crazy witch hunt into the um, into the lesbian community, lesbian and gay yeah. community. And I think what's really important about this book that I hadn't known about until I talked to Josephine is that, you know, this is an example of activism that occurred before Stonewall, and that I hadn't realized the extent to which um, there were there were, people did fight back before Stonewall. Yeah. That was really eye-opening for me. Yeah. Um, and you're right. Marianne Cherry writes about in her book um, about how um, Morris Kite did start stitching those little um, efforts together. Those, those lesser mm-hmm. notes that, you know, because mm-hmm. Stonewall was such a, an attention grabber, but there was a lot going on. And he kind of said, you know, we need to, we need to cluster this because it's a lot bigger than, than, than people know. And that's, you know, all these things are working together to, to get us where we are today, including those TV shows that we were talking about earlier. Oh, so, yeah. 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 So great. Um, in June, I picked a book um, from a Southerner, Gail Massey. She um, oh, it, right. it's from Florida. It's uh, it wasn't it's it's not a beach book, uh, but a summer book. And I wanted something that was I wanted to get off the topic of history for a while. I wanted to get into um, uh, personal struggles with uh, sexuality and gender and things like that. I mean, I mean, I saw the blurb for her book. Um, I, um, I thought, oh, this resonates. I wanted to read this. It's, she she um, uh, takes, uh, these are all stories, interconnected, interconnected uh, themes. Um, the book is called Rising and Other Stories and it's by Brownsville Books. Um, and uh, every piece she writes has a has connection to water and and and, oh. and sense of loss and movement of mm. water and and things that are that are that are coming through um the world the earth and human beings so um i love i love her writing it was it very uh she writes very crisply very sparsely um she does not do what i do which is ramble uh she writes beautifully <laughs> sh- uh, crisp uh, language. Uh, each is a narrative um, in a, in, uh, about uh, the world and how it objectifies uh, women and that strength um, women need, women and girls need to overcome that the, the kind of uh, objectification and limitations it puts on their ability to flow, their ability to to expand and to, to, to be fully realized mm. human beings. So each of these stories um, uh, is like that. And the character she... she um, 
brings to life in these stories are the heartbreaking. Uh, you cheer for them. You cry for them. Mm-hmm. Um, so emotional. Um, again, it's not a beach read, but it was a summer and I wanted something off the my beaten path. And I found it just a lovely, lovely book. So powerful. Um, I would I recommend it just because for the joy of reading wonderful stories. Um, so mm-hmm. um, that's Rising and Other Stories by Gail Massey. She has a few books out uh, and her publisher is Brownsville Books. Um, so I don't think we did anything in July. We did have a lull for the summer a little bit, right? Yeah, that's exactly right. We decided, like, I guess a lot of, I guess a lot of um, vacationers who go away for the summer, um, or school kids anyway, we decided to take a break and didn't pick up until August, end of August. I interviewed Gregory Burke, who wrote Gay, Catholic, and American, oh, yes. Legal Battles for Marriage Equality and Inclusion, by published by University of Notre Dame Press. Um, and Gregory Burke and his husband are two of the original plaintiffs in the um, Ogerberfeld versus Hodges um, case. And, you know, the, I, I, this is something I learned that there are a lot of couples involved in that case, but Ogerberfeld is the name that was, I guess, the name that, you know, went first on the case. But um, Gregory and his husband are from Kentucky, and they were involved in a case that went to the Kentucky Supreme Court. Um, and he talks about not only that, but he talks about um, his experience as a openly gay man and husband, and two of whom adopted children in the Catholic Church. Um, their experience, his experience with the Boy Scouts, and being ousted by the Boy Scouts because he um, refused to hide his sexual orientation, and um, and at the same time his. His involvement in a Catholic church in the Catholic Church, a parish where they've had great support, which is really interesting to me because as a Catholic myself, um, growing up Catholic, you know, I did not stay with the Catholic Church. I, I eventually stopped going because of the ex- negative experiences I had. And last year, I had interviewed um, an author who wrote about confessions of a gay priest um, back in 2020. So this book is different because what Gregory talks about is he talks about wanting to fight within. So some of us, um, like myself and Tom Rastrelli, who wrote Confessions of a Gay Priest, we we decided we were going to fight by leaving. Um, Gregory gives a compelling case for fighting from within um, and finding a place for him, his husband and him within the church. So it's, it's a great, great um, – he's a great, great um, – writer and interviewer interviewee yeah. i should say yeah it's a and it's a terrific um um concept or, or, or the, that you fight from within um your book um um uh, that 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 got you uh, and me connected through mississippi yeah. university press of mississippi is about how couples in mississippi did exactly that why would you stay in mississippi if it's so hostile to lgbt people and your book is all about how well, I want to stay here. This is my home, and I'm LGBTQ, and and I'm not about to let them make me leave. <laughs> and I love that about your yeah. book. So yeah. Oh, so thank that- you, Morris. Yeah, yeah, and that, you're right. That's a parallel with um, what Greg talks about in his. But he, you know, when he's he's also he's an amazing man because he's also been instrumental in um, working with the administration at University of Notre Dame to start a um, LGBT. Q plus alumni association in Notre Dame, which says a lot, you know, That's for a Catholic institution. Yes, it is. Yeah, I, it's groundbreaking. I, I, I yeah. was brought up Catholic as well, and I had the same experience. I I didn't want to fight from within. I wanted to say, oh, I just don't want to be part of that. Um, I'm very yeah. spiritual, um, but I don't need that kind of uh, I don't need that kind of of, yeah. of structure to make me um, uh, uh, appreciate ways to be a good, loving person. Um, 
Okay, well, enough of pontificating from me. Let's move on to <laughs> <laughs> what happened in uh, was it September? Uh, Are we in September now? No, well, I didn't do. Did you? I didn't do an interview in September. Did you, Morris? I, I did do September. Yeah, I did a, a one in September. Okay. So in September, I had a really fun time talking to the uh, well-known uh, uh, musical uh, songwriter and oh, singer right. uh, Mary Gauthier. And Gauthier, uh, she's from uh, Baton Rouge, uh, Louisiana, where I'm from. I'm not from Baton Rouge, but I'm mm-hmm. from Louisiana. So we had that in common already. And uh, uh, she, her book is called "Saved by a Song: The Art and Healing Power of Songwriting." Um, and it's by St. Martin's Publishing. Um, she writes about her – she had a, a hard life. Uh, she grew up as um, an orphan. She was adopted. She had a real struggle uh, with a very strict upbringing. Um, and in a very young age, she started drinking, and um, it took her a while to come out of that funk that alcoholism does or addiction does. And, and when she did, she was able to, she always wanted to be a songwriter. She got a guitar from a young age uh, from her adoptive parents. And it, it, um, it, it's, it sparked that interest in music to her. And she has written for people like Boy George and um, she has, oh, wow. a, and a lot of, a lot of country uh, uh, singers, but also she's got a lot of peers uh, who, who, uh, disregard her as one of the, the strongest songwriters there is working today. She's received a Grammy nomination. She's written for a lot of people. But the, um, the her story is about, that, that, like the title says, uh, The Art and Healing Power of Songwriting. She learned, uh, she, she got back into it um, after she got uh, away from the addiction, got, got, got sobered up. Um, and she went to an open mic one night with a friend and was just inspired um, by what was happening at those places where this little dive uh, uh, venues um expose people who are who are not known yet and they're writing these songs and they're playing their songs they may not have a terrific voice they may not be great on whatever instrument they're playing but they're doing song they're making songs and she found that Mm. so inspiring and so it turned her into she is a well well uh, regarded artist now these years so when i said mary goche now and when I, i have a friend of mine who put me in touch with her um who knew Mary Gauthier from uh, background from from years ago, and so uh, my friend hooked me up and did the introduction because I thought, well, she's a she's a big get, as they say in the yeah. in the, in the uh, yeah. interviewing world. And I thought, oh, she she may not be available to me because this is we're 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 just starting out. But she was so gracious and saying absolutely yes. She couldn't she couldn't be more gracious with this interview. I love talking to her. She has a wonderful wonderful personality. It's it was I was flattered that she's like I said she said yes, but I was also thrilled to hear from her own mouth what she went through she talked about going back to the orphanage where she was um in uh in new orleans um and uh parts of that city that were um you know now everything has changed over the years but um where it was rough and uh, where, where she had these these uh, much of her memory erased by the um addiction part but she, this uh, revisit to that place in, which is she details in the book is so haunting and moving and um it just it was just knock you down when i was like reading that when i i've been there i've been in that i've been in that neighborhood mm-hmm. i've been in i've seen that building i know what you're talking about but um to, to i didn't realize what went on there and she really does a beautiful job of putting that into context um the songwriting bit she's she it, she talks about um helping um uh people who have uh served in in the, in the armed forces who have gotten PTSD uh-huh. and how songwriting helps them and so she's now do, working with people who um, who are are um, 
uh, from that world. Um, and so at first she thought, oh, I'm, I'm not going to be able to do that. But <clears throat> she did it. She's done it now for a while and, and really is getting um, a lot of uh, uh, validation from the fact that it really, that songwriting process is very healing. So um, I, I, I had such a great time with her. I, I would recommend people read. She also has a podcast and uh, just hearing her talk is really, really fun. Um, yeah. So yeah. So that yeah. was my and September. Was, well, that was a bonus for you too, because you're from Louisiana, and I remember in yeah. your own book, Stone Motel, that I, there's a scene that stuck with has stuck with me since reading your book of uh, this of your grandmother um, and her love of music. Um, and I, oh yeah, I have, uh, yeah was it the accordion that she played? Was that yeah, right? She played the accordion and the yeah, triangle. Great, and yeah, great, great scene in your book where you describe your grandmother, you know, coming to going yeah. to a place and. Yeah, that, that music appreciation is in the DNA. She she was one of those people. And Mary Mary was like that. Um, again, she took her took her a while to, to to come to fruition with it. But um, when she did, she really hit. Um, she made she's made some a dent in that business. Mm-hmm. Uh, so she's well regarded. Um, then we move into October. We got to keep the podcast moving. I'm, I'm very conscientious of our conscientious of our listeners' time. We got to move into October. What happened in October? Well, it was interesting because I kind of bookended October with two more serious books, um, both that had religious themes to them. But in October, um, I interviewed Elizabeth McCain, who wrote A Lesbian Bell Tells, Outrageous Southern Stories of Family Loss and Love. And when she says outrageous, um, she, you know, she really means outrageous. On the cover of her book, she's wearing a purple boa. And this is somebody who's a professional storyteller and psychotherapist, and she does – it almost comes across a stand-up where she tells these stories that have they have pain in them, but they also have humor. And she does this amazing job of telling these stories of her own coming out experience, um, you know, telling stories of um her mama's funeral, as she calls, you know, her mama, and all these different things. And um it's it was a wonderful interview. And the thing that was so much fun about this is she agreed to um do one of her stories in the show. And when I say do, it's not just reading from the book, but she uses voices so that she plays the parts of the people in her voices. Uh-huh. Um, so uh-huh. it was a really fun kind of a little change, you know, kind of a little change for the um, podcast that month. Yeah, that's a fun podcast to listen to. Um, I recommend it. Um, <laughs> selfishly, I think everybody should listen to all of the books that we've covered. Well, um, of course. But yeah. she, she, you're right. She was such a fun, she's such a great, uh, just a natural storyteller. Like you said, that's what she, yeah, she, she is. Just, yeah. she's, she's got a gift. Um, so that was I a think terrific so. yeah. episode. That was um, October for you. Um, I did something, or did you do another one in October? I did, I did a book in October no, as well. No. I no. did, I read, I interviewed, Alicia P. Long, um, uh, who is a professor at, at Louisiana State University, which is one of my alma maters. Um, and so she wrote a book called Cruising for Conspirators, How a New Orleans DA Prosecuted the Kennedy Assassination as a Sex Crime. And this yeah, gets back to what yeah. you were talking about earlier. Um, they wanted to uh, – that group you, in the book you mentioned earlier, they uh, wa- really wanted to um, – pr- uh, prosecute uh, and examine the people that, that they had they were paying attention to uh, with the K- Kennedy assassination about they want to focus on their sex lives they want to demonize them by using their homosexuality mm. and um, this wasn't explored there's a lot of books about the, the, the assassination that have come out since but this particular piece this book really examines that component the the uh, the uh, the vilification of people um, and trying to get 
the public on your side against a person um, because he or she is gay. Um, and so that that's kind of the gist of that book. She goes into a lot of detail. She does a lot of research. She covers ground that has not been covered before. Um, and I found it really fascinating. I, I do I do love the topic of JFK. I, I think I'm one of those people mm-hmm. that always pays attention when I hear uh, something something's new about that or something. You know, I you know I, I don't know where you were in 1967. Um, uh, or six, I was yeah. one years old. Yeah, <laughs> so I was <laughs> I I was a little bit older by a few years, uh, uh, but uh, I was still a kid. But uh, I remember um, how how that set off the world. I mean, even people who who weren't necessarily um, the p- political world wasn't like it is now. Um, wasn't really polarized so much. I think people who even who didn't even vote for JFK were um, really sad and um, mm-hmm. that just that how it happened but um anyway um alicia uh long's book which is i did i did i say she's from the university of north carolina press it's another southern angle here mm-hmm. um she's from yeah, like yeah. i said louisiana uh, lsu uh, is where she teaches but um <clears throat> the story is so um compelling i thought well there's already been a movie about this at least one um uh jfk by um oliver stone and uh, there's a lot of things he uh. he he made colorful and the same character um uh, uh the the uh da um and uh jim garrison who uh oh, that's his name sorry uh jim garrison and they were doing uh, clay shaw uh, they were looking after clay looking for clay shaw who was uh, a well-known uh very popular figure in the city of new orleans but um, his gay side was something that was just a, you know, a, 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 it was an open secret kind of thing. So um, it didn't bother the people of New Orleans. If you've been to New Orleans, and I know you, you've recently uh, uh, visited New Orleans and uh, having lived there myself, it is such an enchanting place. There's a lot of uh, live and let live. There's joie de vivre. It's very serious. So you let people live. Well, that wasn't mm. good for Jim Garrison. He was going to, he had an angle and he was going to work it. And that's what the book is about. It was quite fascinating. Let's see. We're going into November. We do need to go into November. Um, how was November for you? I finished up the year um, for myself in November uh, by doing another book on spirituality and religion. And and I guess I'll say that it's I've kind of interspersed some books on spirituality and religion because I found it to be so important for um, queer people living in the South, the influence of religion on their lives, um, whether it's positive or negative. And so I've tried to I've been trying to interview authors from different perspectives. And this one is by, um, this one is Richard Harold, who wrote My Buddha is Pink, Buddhism from an LGBTQI Perspective um, by Sumeru Press. And this was really, really interesting because um, he talks about how, um, through a series of essays, he talks about how um, there are portions of Buddhism that can really, um, apply to someone who's LGBTQ, um, that he tries to kind of slice through the dogma, as he, as he says, and kind of give the solo practitioner who's interested in Buddhism a way to use some of the concepts to have a more fulfilling life. And he has this way of writing that's um, almost campy at times. And so there's seriousness, but there's also a campiness that I think will um, – really draw somebody in who's interested in looking at Buddhism and who's, who's queer. That sounds fun. I, I didn't get to listen to that podcast. I need to go back and find that one. Um, yeah. I, I missed that. Um, so um, I, I, I like that idea that when you write, when you're writing something that kind of could be a little bit esoteric for people, you make it fun, you make it approachable 
by having that's that right. kind of, taking that kind of approach. So I, I, that sounds interesting. Um, and that was that was done in November. That's right. Yep, that was oh, my last podcast of the year in November, just before Thanksgiving. All right, cool. I did um, an early November. I did I did two in November. The first one I did was uh, called Mississippi Barking Hurricane Katrina. Oh, and, right. And the life that went to the dogs um, by Chris McLaughlin. Chris is from Massachusetts, but she went down. And this is a Southern story. Um, and it, this is uh, published by our our. Uh, uh, Publisher, University Press of Mississippi. So another alumnus of uh, UP, mm-hmm. UPM. Um, so the book uh, is she got she she got compelled. She had a sister down after Hurricane Katrina. I think it was her sister, if I remember correctly. Called her and said, "You got to come help." You got to come help. Um, that was August mm-hmm. 2005. She gets a van. She borrows a van. She drives down to the Mississippi Gulf Coast, lands in Mississippi uh, first, and um, before going to uh, New Orleans, but uh, New Orleans is where all the focus was, but there was a lot going on in the Mississippi Gulf Coast, a lot of damage, a lot of death. Um, and there were almost 2,000 people who died for that hurric- in that hurricane, but 250,000 uh, 250, 250, animals died in that. Mm. Um, and wow. um, that, which is heartbreaking. And so she was like, down, got that, that, mean, that means that there were a lot more that were also, um, loose and um not cared for properly because the humans weren't weren't even together yet people were scraping putting back their lives or building rebuilding cleaning out um so a lot of animals were just on their own so that was her mission like i got to go down there and so she went down mm-hmm. there she gets in that van she starts she lands like i said on mississippi gulf coast goes into a finds a, a shelter she had some information she goes into a shelter there and found the conditions really really upsetting and sad because it, it was it was nobody's fault it was like you know you said a major hurricane come through and yeah. th- things are not running the way they do there were some management issues people were struggling in all kinds of ways so there are all kinds of obstacles that she found um she moves on to new orleans and gets involved with people who are there on the ground, um, focusing on the animals. Uh, you know, they, again, everybody, the media, everybody was focusing right away on the, um, the human survivors and the issue, the human toll, the flooding, um, having been down from the, uh, being from down there, it was devastating to me. I know it was devastating to anybody who had any connection yeah, to New Orleans. Yeah. Um, but um, to watch people standing in water up to their necks and with their hands up in the air, and this is on national television, I'm just choked up. Um, I can't imagine. I, you know, you think about the people first, and it didn't, it didn't cross my mind until the stories were coming out in days that followed those images about people who would not leave their rooftops because they, they wouldn't leave an animal behind. And I oh, yeah. totally relate. In fact, Katrina yeah. was, was the, it was the, it was the stonewall for the animal um, care uh, people and that it um, made a lot of policy changes happen um, with disaster preparedness. And um, wow. so people now in all States, it's not just down in Louisiana, but um, in Mississippi, um, Consider the animals uh, when um, uh, a rescue, when the when the when the, uh, the National Guard is in, and when American or the Red Cross is in. The animals are part of the mix now. I'm not you can't just say, well, you have to leave those. That's what they did because uh, that 
this was unprecedented. So people were doing what they, well, we got to save you first. And so mm-hmm. I could see, I could see that. I, I can't imagine leaving my dog behind. I don't, I don't, I don't know. Um, I, I, no, I, I, no. I, yeah, it won't happen. So, but um, I, I have since then read about other places, um, uh, shelters uh, uh, for uh, like uh, domestic violence shelters all over the country. Um, there are more and more of them that are accommodating the pets of people who are victims of domestic violence. So when you rescue a person, mm-hmm. like you do in a hurricane, you rescue a person, you also rescue their pets because mm-hmm. those pets left behind are in danger if there's a violent person left behind. And the healing process and the recovery, of uh, it's all part of the same mentality. So there's a lot that's happened since 2005, and I, I'm grateful for that. She points that out in the book. It's it's fascinating and heartbreaking and wonderful. Um, she does a lot. There's a lot of good, great work. And she's not alone. She brings in people. She she gets a collection of people in every place she stops. Um, I, I said when I wrote a blurb about her, when I read the book, I, 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 called, I said she had a Category 5 heart. Because it's like mm-hmm. I, I have not read a book that made me um, feel so much through her words and her capacity to to uh, uh, understand with compassion what these animals were going through. Um, mm-hmm. You have to have a huge heart. She does. Her name is Chris McLaughlin. Uh, the book is Mississippi Barking, University Press of Mississippi. It's it's um, it's an untold story, much in many places because a lot of like I said, a lot of Katrina stories were about other things. But um, this That's book right. is. Yeah, this book, uh, it really dives into that. And kudos to Miss University Press of Mississippi for, for taking this book. Um, it needed to be, it needed, the story needed to be told. Um, the next book I did in November, my last um, uh, podcast for the year was called um, Queer as All Get Out, 10 People Who've Inspired mm-hmm. Me. And this book is by Shelby Criswell. And it's from Street Noise Books. Shelby lives in, um, I want to say San Antonio, if I remember correctly, um, Texas. And, and they are a, uh, a genderqueer person um, in the American South. And, and what they do in this is um, reveal their own personal awakening and uh, learning mm-hmm. process through heroes and heroines of, of the LGBT. TQIA plus is how she puts, or uh, they put, I'm sorry. Um, uh, uh, Shelby has chosen they and them and their as uh, her mm-hmm. pronouns. Uh, I mean, their pronouns. I have, I'm sorry. We talked about this very issue in, in the podcast about, you know, a lot of us are old timers and we, we're, we're adjusting to um, the pronoun uh, issue. And it, it's a, it's a work in progress. Um, so I apologize for, for gender, for giving her a gender, giving them a gender. Um, mm-hmm. But it is a big part of our conversation. So it's appropriate that I, that I slip up. Um, but the book uh, goes over. She's um, again, I do it. I can't help myself. They are an illustrator and uh, do a lot of work in, a, in comics uh, uh, through for, for uh, much of the career so far. But uh, this, this, these are 10 stories that are, that are told uh, graphically um, of people like Mary Jones, uh, Wei Hua, Magnus, Hirschfeld, mm. Dr. Polly Murray, Wilmer Littleaxe M. Broadnax, Sister Rosetta Tharp. I know a lot of people have heard of Sister Rosetta Tharp, who was a rock and roll groundbreaker. Uh, Carlet Brown, Nancy Cardenas, Ifti Nassim, and Simon Nicolai. That's the 10 people that they cover in these beautiful, beautifully mm. told illustrations. Lots of research went into this book. 
It's a terrific, terrific, uh, um, eye-opening, mind-opening, heart-opening book. So um, that was my last uh, book. Uh, I was thrilled to get to talk to them because um, it's. I have always loved illustration. I've always loved animation, mm. and anything to do with that uh, always appeals to me. So I find this book fascinating. Um, and unfortunately, in a podcast, you can't see the wonderful illustrations. <laughs> so, but that's it. We yeah. Have, yeah, we are coming to the end. I want us to have to spend some time talking about what we got planned. What you got planned for the first part of uh, 2022, John? Well, I'm going to be interviewing Baker Rogers, who wrote King of Hearts, Drag Queen, Drag Kings, I should say, Drag Kings in the American South. And this is going to be really interesting because Baker explores the culture of drag kings, and um, she also is a uh, has done performances as a drag queen king herself. I keep wanting to say drag queen, which is really sexist of me, but so this she's going to be talking about the Southern drag king culture. So that'll be that'll be really interesting. That's always fascinated me. I've met a few drag yeah. kings, and and always, always they're intriguing. Um, just it's a it's really a subset of all kinds of things. I have a lot of things going on in, in what makes a drag mm-hmm. king king work. Yeah, um, yeah. My book coming up is um, I'm inter- I'm going to interview Dr. Andrew Kunka, who is uh, uh, published a book that's just coming out actually in uh, December. So just came out. Um, the Life and Comics of Howard Cruz, the Taking Risks mm. in the Service of Truth. Now, Howard Ru- Cruz, I remember Howard Cruz as a budding homosexual back in the early 70s. Howard Cruz drew comic strips um, mm. uh, way back in the day in certain publications that were in with the very, very frank, uh, candid um, uh just uh, discussions about uh, gay life, gay sexuality, gay issues. Um, and, but these were for gay audiences. Um, and uh, I, I haven't t- done the podcast yet, but the book, what the book does that I love so much, and I just mentioned that I love illustration and animation, so it's right up my alley. Um, this, he contextualizes this artist, uh, Howard Cruz's groundbreaking uh, work. I mean, it's, it was candid and funny and poignant mm. all at the same time. These, these comic strips, yeah. Um, and they're, they're, um, they're extended. They're, they're not just three or four panels. They're, they're pages sometimes and pages. So um, the, uh, the work, this, this, this man, I, again, I didn't remember, I didn't remember his name, but when I saw this book and I started going through it, I mean, Oh, I remember this. I remember this. <laughs> you know, so I remember, <laughs> I remember the stories he was telling. So I was thrilled to get this. This is by the Rutgers university press. So it's a, a Northern press, mm-hmm. but, um, the, um, artist himself, Howard Cruz was Southern. Um, so the subject matter is a Southern LGBTQ mm-hmm. person. So I, I'm kind of excited for that one. Um, that one's going to hopefully happen in, uh, uh, January or early February. So um, then, Wonderful. then we're on to the next thing. We'll have a new uh, roster of stories coming up. Um, and that's where we are. I think, John, we have, uh, we're getting close to our time limit on this. What do you have to say to our listeners before we go? Well, I, I guess I want to say, um, other than Happy New Year, I want to say that um, we are always looking for new authors to interview. So if you know of an author that um, you think would fit into what we're trying to do on our podcast, please contact us. You can find us on Facebook or um, on Twitter at Voices um, at Voices South. So we'd love yeah. to hear from you. Yeah, definitely. I love that you mentioned that because I, I forget that. I forget to pitch us. Uh, definitely, we were looking for, we're always looking for books. They need to be um, 
focusing on either, like I said uh, earlier, from or about LGBTQ plus people um, who have, and there has to be a Southern angle. Um, and But there's sometimes there are global angles like the gay rights movement that affected everybody mm-hmm. um, in all places. So um, it may have been written by a Southerner or um published by a southern press all that will work for us so please bring us stories um we're, we we do do some sniffing around to try to find to find the books um we like to be <laughs> as as current as possible the um but some books that are, are a year or so uh, old we st- we'll still will look at those if they haven't been um, on the podcast on the network before the network weren't won't do a, a cover of book twice, same book twice. But if it's, if the book has not been on the network yet, we're happy to take a look at it. Mm-hmm. So like John says, reach out to us on Facebook and uh, you can find us on Facebook at Queer Voices of the South. It's spelled out um, in that group. And um, John handles the, um, the Twitter account for, and what's the Twitter account again, uh, handle? It's, it's at voices. Um, let's see, underline South. Okay, cool. Everybody find it. Um, we, we are thrilled that you're listening to us and um, you are a, one of um, three million people who do so every month. Um, and so we love that you're here. Thank you for joining us today. Um, happy 20, 2022, everybody. And uh, we'll talk to you next time. Thanks as always, Morris. Thanks, John. That was fun. <laughs>